Why do we have to actually redeem our time? Yeah, because uh, as, as Paul, this, this comes from a verse in uh, a book of the Bible called Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil, right? Uh, in short, we're running out of time in this life. The clock is ticking. If COVID has made us aware of anything other than the deep divisions uh, in this country, it has made us aware that this life is but a vapor. And I think all of us deep down long to spend our lives meaningfully, but we have historically lacked the tools to do that. Hello everyone and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we know that when you have clarity about your brand and for your business, so do your customers. The Everybody Brands Podcast gives you insight into branding and brand strategy that helps you focus on your customers and empowers you to outmaneuver your competition so you can achieve your company goals and grow your business. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast with Brian Soy. Today, I'm really excited because I have Jordan Rayner as a guest here on this podcast. Jordan Rayner is a serial entrepreneur, and he's the national best-selling author who helps Christians do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and good of others. Through Jordan's books, his podcast, and weekly devotionals, Jordan has helped millions of Christians in every single country connect the gospel to their work. In addition to this content that he produces, he also serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup that's built the world's largest library of 360-degree hotel, restaurant, and attraction experiences. Um, previously, Jordan served as the CEO of this company, and he has now reinvented himself um, as an author, as a thought leader. Uh, but just what I love about Jordan is, you know, he's a lot like me. He is an entrepreneur at heart, and he loves bringing that entrepreneurial spirit to people everywhere. So welcome, Jordan. Brian, it's a joy to see you. We were just talking. We saw each other in person two years ago. It's good to see each other face-to-face uh, again, at least via Zoom. Yeah, and I'm actually going to the Lipscomb Conference next week again. I love Lipscomb University. love the team there. They're doing great work. Yep, yep. So, hey, um, I'm, I asked you to, to spend some time with me to talk about your new book, Redeeming Your Time. Um, so, Give us a quick 60-second rundown, your, your, your yeah. book pitch about what Redeeming Your Time is all about. Yeah. So here's the deal. As you mentioned, I've spent my whole career as an entrepreneur, and, and unsurprisingly, I've always been obsessed with good time management, right? I've read more than 40 books, all the perennial sellers in this category. But uh, you know, I've always had two big problems with those books that I've tried to solve with this one, with Redeeming Your Time. You know, Number one... Most time management books are centered on what I would call works-based productivity, right? So the message is implicitly or explicitly, hey, uh, you're feeling overwhelmed, CEO, marketer, whatever. Uh, You're feeling swamped. Follow my system. Do exercises X, Y, and Z. And then I promise you will find peace at the end of this long road, right? Uh, As a Christian I believe that because I believe the God of the universe loves me, I already have peace. I don't need time management exercises to get peace. I do time management exercises X, Y, and Z as a response to the peace I've already been given. So that's, that's the first big problem I've had with a lot of these books. The second big problem 
is they all fail to account for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen, I'm not going to assume that everybody listening to this episode uh, claims to be a Christian, but Christian or not, it is very hard to dispute that Jesus of Nazareth was the most productive person who has ever lived. We literally measure time before and after his death. And yet, I don't know a single time management book that looks at the biographies of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are biographies of the life of Christ to study how the most productive person of all time lived his life. And you might not think uh, that the gospels have a lot to say about these things, but they do uh, a lot, in fact. And that's what this book is all about. Redeeming your time are these seven timeless time management principles from the most purposeful, present, and productive person who has ever lived, Jesus Christ, mapped to 32 hyper-practical practices to help us live out those principles today in the 21st century. That's great. And that's one of the things I loved about the book um, is that you've got these principles throughout the book, uh, but you've also tied them to practices um, that was actually just from a very practical standpoint, yeah. good for me as, as I continue to, to do the kind of work I do in the brand space. Um, and, you know, you're absolutely right. The Gospels, as, as biographies, as narrative of Jesus' time here actually on earth— do have a lot of practical things that we can learn from. Um, you know, as we, we briefly talked about a few minutes ago, you know, there's actually some great questions you can ask about branding too, but we're going we're to keep this focused on time. Um, and, you know, you argue that we should read these gospels as biographies. Yeah. Can you explain some more of your thinking here? Because when I share that idea with people, they just look at me like, you know, I've got three heads. Yeah, um, of course they do. Because most people don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in this way. We we come to these books of the Bible primarily for, I, I would argue exclusively, for their theology and their ethics. And of course, these four books of the Bible contain a ton of that, right? Uh, but they are also narrative accounts, I love the way you put it, of how Jesus lived his life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are guys who are following Jesus around in the first century in the Holy Land, and we're documenting the lifestyle and habits, and yes, theology and ethics that Jesus taught. And think about when you read a biography today. Uh, I love biographies. Uh, I, I just read one on Martin Luther. I've read biographies on Walt Disney, on Marissa Mayer, on Steve Jobs. And when you read these biographies of famous marketers or CEOs, whatever, Sure, you pay attention to what they said, but you also pay attention to their lifestyle, to their habits. You, you pick up on the fact that Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day in order to minimize the creative decision-making power that he was expending in the mornings, right? And so you study, you pick up these habits, and then you adopt them and try to make them your own so that you could achieve similar results in your life, right? And that's what I argue and what much more well-trained uh, theologians have argued is one way, not the way, but one way in which we should approach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reading them through this biographical lens. And when you do that, you see Jesus, you know, he, he didn't carry around a to-do list or a calendar. Let's make that crystal clear. But he, you do see him fighting distractions at work. Uh, you see him fighting for silence and solitude in what was a very noisy world, even in the first century. Uh, you see him trying to be 
busy without being hurried, right? In other words, you basically see Jesus fighting with the same exact challenges you and I and our listeners face today, Brian. And yet, because he was the most productive person who has ever lived, we could assume that this is the way to steward our time and how foolish we would be not to at least study the biographies for what they have to say about how Jesus was so purposeful, present, and productive and try to emulate those things today. Right. Yeah. And Jordan, you, you just kind of took some words out of my mouth. I had a question here that says, you know, just like many people, I don't mind being purposefully busy. Yeah. Purposefully busy, but I don't want to be hurried. I hate being hurried because I make mistakes. I get grumpy. Imagine that. Um, and yeah, just, can you give me, I don't know, you talk about, um, seven principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. What are those seven principles and what is one great practice that can help me be purposefully busy, but not hurried? So excellent question. Let's come back to the seven principles in a second, because I think you've hit on something that's super important. Uh, difference between busyness and hurry. These are not the same thing. Uh, John Ortberg, great writer, uh, New York Times bestselling author, once said that, quote, being busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body, but being hurried is an inner condition. It's a condition of the soul. And I think that's right, right? So Mm -hmm. to put this a little more practically, busyness is having a lot of meetings on my calendar, right? Hurry is scheduling those meetings back to back, forcing me to sprint from one meeting to the next without any time in between to hear my own thoughts and be creative, right? Busyness is having a ton of errands to run. Hurry is when I get mad about choosing lane three instead of lane four at the grocery store because I can't spare 30 seconds, right? So again, come back to the gospels. Jesus was crazy busy, right? There's this one verse in one of the gospel biographies that say that uh, Jesus's family thought he was quote out of his mind uh, because he was so busy, but he was remarkably unhurried. He never appeared frantic or anxious about his busy purposeful life. And I think that's because he incorporated all of these seven principles that I outlined in the book. The seventh is eliminate all hurry, which is what we just talked about. But going back to the top principle, number one, is to start with the word, right? Jesus prioritized time with his heavenly father and this long time perspective of what his role was in the grand scheme of time above everything else. Principle number two, he let his yes be yes every single time, right? Uh, Jesus commanded that of his disciples. We can assume that he lived it out himself. We can know that he lived it out himself. Uh, Principle number three, Jesus frequently dissented from the kingdom of noise. This may be the most applicable principle to our modern context today. We are living at a time of unprecedented noise. uh, And Jesus frequently withdrew to lonely places to think, to be creative, and to hear God's voice. Principle number four, prioritize your yeses. Jesus didn't say yes to everything. There are many times in the gospels in which he he said, no, we got to do the same thing. Principle number five, accept your uni presence. Jesus frequently modeled this ability to be fully present with one important thing or person at a time. Principle number six, embrace productive rest. 
I think a lot of times leaders assume that rest is uh, unproductive, which on the surface, it certainly appears that way. But in the book, I outlined these three counterintuitively uh, productive rhythms of rest. And then we already talked about principle number seven, eliminate all hurry. Embrace being busy, right? We should be busy. We should be productive. We should be spending our lives towards some aim, but we're going to be crushed. Our souls are going to be sucked out of us if we're doing it in a way that makes us frantic, anxious, and hurried. Yeah. And, and all those three things lead to just a greater level of anxiety in our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that anxiety can then continue to manifest itself with, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, um, totally. you know, com- un- unhealthy comparisons to people who seem to be doing meaningful work and staying meaningfully busy when you're not. And it's just, it's, it just, you end up spiraling down instead of being encouraged. Um, you know, you talked about this drawing us back to being and having space for being creative. Mm. Um, and I call it, I call it white space. Yeah. It's, it's a design principle. White space is the area that isolates the thing you really want to pay attention to. So whether it com- whether it is uh, spending time with God to, ref- to, to de- deepen your relationship with him or, um, spending the time that you need to collect your thoughts around a project. We need that white space where there isn't noise, where there isn't something else to do. So Brian, you asked me for a really practical practice. I'm going to give you the easiest one of the whole book. Again, 32 practices. You want more white space, more ability to be creative. Just stop filling the crevices of your day with noise. By crevices, I mean the two minutes that you're standing waiting for an elevator, don't pull out your phone. Don't plug in a podcast. If you finish reading a chapter of a book that you're reading five minutes before your kids are expected home, don't turn the page. Just sit there for five minutes, right? If you hop in your car for 10 minutes to run 10 minute errand, don't turn on a podcast, not even this one, not even mine. Just sit there and let your mind wander and be creative. Boredom does not come naturally for us in the 21st century. We've almost eradicated it. So we have to work out this muscle. We have to intentionally develop the skill. It is a skill of being bored so that we can be creative. And the easiest way to do it is just refuse to fill those crevices of your day, those cracks in your day with noise. Before we continue our conversation on the Everybody Brands podcast, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever imagined trying to read a label from the inside of a bottle? It doesn't sound easy, does it? Now, imagine trying to do that with your business. Do you ever wonder if people on the outside of your company think your brand is clear and focused? If so, I want to tell you about the Clarity Credo, 12 principles that can help you align your branding with your business strategy to inspire your team and grow your business. The principles of the Clarity Credo will help you build a brand that people love through purpose, character, culture, and voice. Get a poster of the 12 principles and a year's worth of practices that you can apply to your brand and business when you sign up for the Clarity Credo at claritycredo.com. That's a great perspective on that. And again, I'm talking with Jordan Rayner, the author of Redeeming Your Time, Um, You mentioned your podcast. It's an excellent podcast. What's that called again? It's called The Call to Mastery. Call to Mastery. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a fantastic um, podcast for people who are just looking at, you know, and you're looking at individuals who have spent a lifetime mastering, you know, one thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's that 
um, that deep focus. And, you know, we, you talk about deep focus. Um, so I'm still going to branch out in a different direction here. This is good. Yeah. And you, and the quote I had, and I had, I don't know, I had like 89 or 90 highlights. They go on and on and on and on. Like I had the ultimate compliment for an author. I love it. Yeah, well, look at this. This is, you know, I was able to I could see it. You're proving version. it. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, I've got hundreds of highlights. And the on one of them just said, remember, it's not just deep work we're after, but a deep life. Yep. Like Jesus, we want to be fully present with whatever important task or person we've chosen to give our attention to in a given moment. Um, and, you know, and, and to get personal, but to tie this into this fantastic um, promo you're doing uh, with a trip to Israel. Um, when I was in Israel, I got this fabulous tattoo, and I, I and I got it after having crossed the Sea of Galilee in a boat where we sang some music together. I mean, talk about just a powerful emotional worship experience. But the phrase is "Duke in Altum," which means "put out into the deep." And for that, when when I read that, it reminded me that our lives need to focus on deep relationships, mm. both vertical and the horizontal relationships we have with each other, deep work, um, and just having a deep life. But as Peter learned, that can only start with an empty net. So can we talk a little bit about like, what do you mean by you mean by deep life? Yeah, man. I, I love that picture. I love your tattoo. Your show, you showed it to me a few minutes ago. It's 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 epic. You got to post a picture of that with these show notes. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of Cal Newport. He's become a good friend. Uh, Cal wrote uh, a few exceptional books. Uh, probably the most well known is a book called Deep Work. Right, and it's this idea that you know, very easy for us all to see that we are more distracted than ever before. It's the cliche of all cliches uh, here in 2021. Um, and so we wrote a book about how to how to get deep work done, right? Because as leaders, as creatives, as marketers, whatever your role is, you create the most value when you are doing totally focused, undistracted work. And I, again, I love Cal's work. It's been so helpful to me. But I felt it, and by the way, Cal, Cal wrote an incredibly generous endorsement uh, of redeeming your time, of which I'm super grateful for. And uh, I want to thank him publicly for that. Um, but, you know, it, it's not just deep work that we're after. We are after a deep life. So yes, when we're at our desk and we are drafting a branding briefing, a creative briefing, right? Or a proposal or a chapter of a book, we want to be fully focused on that task at hand. But equally true, when we come home, we want to be fully focused on our kids and our spouses and our friends. And there are just very powerful enemies that are attacking our ability to go deep at work and at home. And I spend an entire chapter of the book uh, dedicated to, all right, how do we combat these five enemies of depth in order to model Jesus's ability to be unipresent, right? Christians believe that God is omni present, meaning, meaning he's everywhere at every time. But for 33 years, when as Christians teach Jesus, God came to earth in a person born to the Virgin Mary, he was unipresent. He was confined to one place at a time for 33 years. If Jesus 
who is 100% God and 100% man cannot be in more than one place at a time, neither can you and I. We have got to fight for unipresence. We have to ruthlessly fight back against these five enemies of depth. And that's what chapter five of this book is all about. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea of being unipresent, Jesus being in one place at one time, um, I read a chapter, one chapter from a book called Four Chairs Discipling um, a few years ago, and it's on the humanity of Jesus. And the thing he points out is that no time, at no time in Jesus' life, does he ever tap into his deity mm. to accomplish what he has done, what he wanted to do on earth. Mm. Mm. He set that, we have to remember, he set it completely aside. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, the author explains a lot of things, but I just, that really resonated with me because it's like, okay, we've also been given as believers, the same set of tools. I mean, Peter runs through them. Um, we've got the model that we can follow for Jesus. Um, and so, you know, as a believer, I think that's, it's so encouraging to us, but, you know, I also say that the principles in your book are for anybody who wants to manage their time. Well, this is not about time management, really. It's about that whole phrase you used, redeeming your time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why do we have to actually redeem our time? Yeah, because uh, as, as Paul, this, this comes from a verse in uh, a book of the Bible called Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 16. Uh, the apostle Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil, right? Uh, in short, we're running out of time in this life. The clock is ticking. If COVID has made us aware of anything other than the deep divisions uh, in this country, it has made us aware that this life is but a vapor. And I think all of us deep down long to spend our lives meaningfully, but we have historically lacked the tools to do that. And, and you know, going back to the first question you asked, why I wrote this book, why this book, I mentioned a couple of reasons. Here's one more. You know, before I wrote Redeeming Your Time, if I was having coffee with a friend who is really struggling with time management, over the course of an hour-long coffee, I would literally recommend a dozen books that I genuinely believe that person absolutely had to read in order to fully solve these problems, which of course is the last thing somebody in that position wants to hear, right? But the reason I did that was because all of those 12 books contained a critical piece of the puzzle to redeem your time, but no one book collected all, had all the pieces in it and connected them all together. Let's be honest. Most 300-page books have 10 pages of content that you really, really need. My audacious goal with this book is say, okay, let's take the best of deep work by my friend Cal, Getting Things Done by my friend David Allen, uh, all of these great books, Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker, 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Let's take all the pieces, boil them down to their essence, and connect them into one cohesive whole. And one of the greatest compliments I've seen as an author in the early reviews is that we've succeeded to that end. My team and I have succeeded in this book of putting all those pieces together. We're, we're, we're seeing reviews on Goodreads and people saying, I've read a million time management books. Finally, somebody solved my problems. And I'm not claiming to solve all of anybody's problems. I don't think any author or book can do that, but we're solving a lot of them. Uh, and I'm proud about how the Lord has used me uh, in this book to do that. Yeah, and you did some, I think you did some interesting research, um, methods for research, um, one, uh, where you, you put out a version of this early on a platform yeah. called new version, just yeah. to test the waters, which is a great 
great process. I use that for some of my writing as well. Um, and then I see you've actually released a short version of redeeming your time as a yeah. five or seven day, I'm sure study plan on, yeah. on the version, exactly which is, right. which is great. I I'm always testing content, always placing little bets. It's good advice for marketers, for branders, for writers, uh, place as many little bets as you can learn as quickly as you can. It's, it's a lean startup methodology, right? Again, I'm a tech, I'm a tech entrepreneur by background, right? Like it's the lean startup methodology, just applied to content. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we practice what we call agile brand strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same you're, you're not, yeah. You know, I've had people ask like, what's the five-year brand strategy? It's like, let's talk about the 90-day brand strategy yes. in one year, which is made up of four, you know, four 90-day plans. But we're That's exactly talk- right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, one of the really practical tools kits um, in the book is a your commitment system. Yeah. Um, and you talk about, in chapter six, this phrase, lock posterioritys yeah. in the basement. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about this phrase, um, fully committed that you is one of your yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. So um, here's the deal. All of us are making commitments in a million different places today. Your spouse last night asked you if you would uh, change the picture above the piano. And you said, yes, that was a commitment right? It's your brain makes no distinction between the size of that commitment and the commitment you made to your boss to send them the quarterly report by the end of the week, right? It's all the same to your brain. And there's tons of neuroscience about this. It's fascinating, right? Your brain has all of these open loops, things big and small, urgent and distant that you have some level of internal commitment to complete at some point in the future. Uh, The problem is when we keep those open loops in our brain, it causes a tremendous amount of anxiety and stress and blocks our ability to do deep work and to focus because our brain's not supposed to hold all those things. So in the book, I help readers build what I call this commitment tracking system, because what the science says is you don't actually have to do all the things that are in your head in order for you to stop worrying about them. All you have to do is get them out of your brain and into an external system, right? That you can trust. And then your brain can let those things go, right? This is one of the solutions to anxiety and stress in our very fast paced world where we're making commitments to our spouses at night in our email inboxes via text message. You got to have a central hub to collect all of those commitments, to organize them and to execute against them. And that's what the commitment tracking system concept uh, is in the book. And and part of the magic of this is once you have all your commitments in one place, you can lock what I call posteriorities, not me, Peter Drucker, the greatest management thinker of the last hundred years, called posteriorities in the basement of that commitment tracking system, placing it in a separate place, say, you know what? My priority for today is X. Everything else in my commitment tracking system, I'm going to visually block out and ignore trusting that they're still there, just not visible to me. So I could focus fully on whatever the task is at hand today in this particular moment. Yeah. And and then again, it comes back to that idea of focus. And I do want to point out that in your book, you mentioned that you've created models of these resources that, you know, if people buy the book, they'll be able to find the secret place where you've hidden those um, away, as well as, you know, the one, the other thing you talk about in the book is it's full of some Easter eggs, about some uh, of your favorite. Um, oh man, there must be a dozen Hamilton lines buried 
in yeah. this book. I challenge uh, I challenge your listeners to find them all. Yeah, and if they have that uh, Disney Plus subscription, they could read the book while they're watching it and listen because <laughs> it's still You'll find a lot of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Before we wrap up this episode, I want you to think about the things that stand in the way of achieving your business goals. For many leaders, it's complexity, uncertainty, and the challenge of getting their vision out of their head and into action so their team and business can thrive. The one thing I know business leaders seek is clarity for their brand, message, and business strategy. I understand how frustrating it is when your business isn't growing or your marketing doesn't produce the results you expect. Instead of wasting money on marketing that doesn't work, the fastest way to grow your business is to define your focus and create a clear message about it with the StoryBrand framework. Since I became a StoryBrand certified guide, I've helped dozens of leaders unify sales teams and grow their business with clear messaging that helps customers understand how brands help them overcome a problem or achieve a goal. StoryBrand is a proven model that helps teams and leaders communicate with clarity, connect with customers, and grow their sales. It's a sure way to get everyone on your team to speak in one voice with a clear and consistent message. So if you need help defining your focus and creating a clear message so your marketing starts to produce, contact Aspire at aspire.com storybrand so you can stop wasting money Find the clarity you need and get your business growing. So I'm talking here with Jordan Rayner, the author of Redeeming Your Time. Um, so you mentioned that this phrase fully committed is, is a favorite of yours. Why is that? Yeah, because this is one of my favorite phrases, especially when I'm saying no to people's requests uh, for my time. Um in the book, I talk about why I think we need a different approach to this word. No, I'm not sure if you want to go there, but but the phrase fully committed itself uh, comes from the four seasons. Uh, they get credit, I think, for largely in inventing this construct. So when you go to four seasons and you ask if they have availability, they don't tell you no. They say we are fully committed to other guests at this time. And what that communicates to you is that when they do have availability, uh, and you're able to book a room at the Four Seasons, they're going to be fully committed to serving you. And so I use this phrase a lot when I'm saying no to request for my time. I'll say something along the lines of, hey, uh, thank you so much for reaching out, asking to grab a cup of coffee. Uh, right now, I am fully committed to priorities X, Y, and Z, and I'm unable to get coffee. And then the other thing I'll do, is I'll offer to help in some other way. Hey, I can't meet for coffee, but I'd be happy to answer a few of your questions via email. But that phrase fully committed subtly uh, communicates that I'm not saying no because I want to say no to you. I'm saying no because I've already given a bigger burning yes to something else. Mm, yeah, and that's that bigger burning yes is, you know, what's important because again, that goes back to the focus that we have, it has back to our bigger purpose. Um, I use a similar type language when I decline connection requests on LinkedIn, I say, you know, I'm fully committed to the people who are in my network, but, you know, I'd, I'd love to share whatever I have with you. So if you'd follow me, that's a way to, you know, I in a sense, that. be connected. Great, great application. Yeah. One of the, now, when, when you said fully committed, and when I was reading, reading through that chapter, it reminded me of a phrase that I love, and I've really been dwelling on a lot is um, the phrase wholehearted. 
that is found. And, it, you know, it depends, of course, on the Bible translation you use. Sure. Um, currently, I'm reading in the God's Word Translation Bible. Um, I'm a huge fan of the New Living Translation. Um, and it's just like that idea of wholehearted is like, if we're going to do something, if we're going to be fully committed, we just can't commit half of our heart to it. And it, in the in the Hebrew understanding of heart, where we understand it scripturally, it is not just this emotional, you know, core that we have. It is our entire being. It is our body. It is our mind where we're making our decisions, where our faith becomes activated. It is our bodies because we have to be, you know, we have to be rested. We have to be fit. We have to be capable of doing these things. So I just, I just want. It goes back to this theme of focus too, though, Brian, right? Because there's, this is a great scene in one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, The Social Network, written by my, easily my favorite writer, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Social Network's about Mark Zuckerberg and the economy of Facebook. And there's a scene where Zuckerberg is being deposed uh, by opposing counsel. And opposing and Zuckerberg's clearly not paying attention. And the opposing counsel says, Mr. Zuckerberg, do you have your attention? And Zuckerberg responds, no, you have half of my attention, right? Which is like, so brutally honest and, and, and crass and crude, but like so true. And it's so true for so many of us and so many things. Here's the deal. Life is too short to be doing things that only warrant half of our attention. If you're sitting there today and you're only given a task, half your attention, ask why you're doing it at all, right? Exactly. If it only deserves half of your attention, kill it. Right, ruthless, kill your darlings, as Stevens, as Stephen King said. Right, get these things off of your to do list and onto something else, so that uh, you can do things worthy of your whole heart, worthy of your full attention, and just being fully engaged with whatever that work is. Mm, yeah, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. I, I would think a great hierarchy to walk through is, you know, also is going to kill this darling why are we killing it well is it glorifying to god and is it really for the good of others right right is it, right is, um you know i want to loop back to this idea of busyness um yeah. and a few you know i before i i read uh redeeming your time um i wrote about time and i wrote about why why we have trouble saying or why we're busy um, but I, I wrote time like money is a resource we must steward for God's glory. Uh, like other resources, we either have a, an abundance or a scarcity mindset toward the time we receive and our options and how to steward it. So I just wanted to ask you if God's grace is sufficient, because we, we you talk about how, you know, the, our time is and our tasks are grace driven, then why does it seem like the amount of time we have to be insufficient? Yeah, man, that's a great question. It's a terrific question. I think it's because we've bought into this lie that the amount of time God has given us just isn't enough. In, in a way, it's it's a way of failing to trust God's sovereignty uh, mm -hmm. in his and his plans, right? Because I've said this before. I've said, ah, I just don't have enough time to do X, Y, and Z, or I just, man, I just don't feel like I have enough time in this season 
of life. That is doubting the goodness, the character, and the sovereignty of God. He's the one who established a 24-hour day of what these limits of which we cannot exceed, as Job says, right? Uh, and so failing to trust in that is just failing to embrace my human limitations. It's a failure to recognize that God is God and I am not. Uh, I, I think that's the root of it, right? But it's also this just lament, and I think a good God-honoring, like, human lament over death, right? Not to get, like, too philosophical, but death wasn't a part of original creation. You know, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, death was not a part of the world. It wasn't until Genesis 3. And so I think there's this part of the human condition that knows that we are operating with time that we know to be finite, but that we also know shouldn't be finite. We're living with this tension of the temporal, but with what our souls tell us should be work and a life that is eternal. Uh, And the answer scripture gives, the Bible gives to that tension is, no, that's 100% true, right? Uh, we were made for this eternal life. And through Jesus, we can have it, right? The end of those gospel biographies that we've been talking about is Jesus defeating death, right? That There's more archaeological evidence for this than pretty much anything else in history. He beat death as a way of saying you were right all along, right? That thing inside of you, that when you go to work and you just kill it, you're like, man, I want, I want to work like that forever. I want life to feel like this forever. That is true. There's truth in that longing, but it's only found in the eternal life that's found through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I feel that tension about, you know, people say, Oh, I just kind of wish we could, Jesus would come back. This world is so troubled. I'm like, I feel like, well, yeah, it's true, but I like creating. I like doing what I do. I mean, if, if there's any, you know, I was wired to create. It doesn't matter what I'm creating. If it's music, if it's writing, if it's, you know, typefaces that I design, if it's, you know, brand programs, whatever. If I'm not creating, I'm bored, I'm frustrated because God has put that. I mean, we're the only beings who have creativity in our hearts. Yes. And, and let's, go, let's go back even further, Brian. The reason why we feel like this, according, according to the Bible, is because Christianity claims that God himself works the very first thing in the hebrew bible genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth before he tells us he is holy or loving or omnipotent or merciful whatever he tells us that he's a god who works and by the way this is unique in the history of world religions i don't think we talk about this nearly enough right every other religion said that the gods created human beings to work and serve the gods. Only Christianity starts with the God who works. So if you have ever sensed that work is good, and I I get that work is difficult, post-sin, work is hard, but I think all of us have felt moments of just intoxicating joy in our work. And if you believe that, Christianity is the only religion that really gives way to that, that only supports that, right? That says, yeah, no, work isn't just good, Work is God-like, right? And to me, that's one of the most winsome qualities of the God of the Bible, that work is not beneath him. He's a God who creates. He's a God who's productive. He's a God who works and then makes human beings in his image to look like him, to go out in the world and create 
like him. That's that's one of the most beautiful truths of scripture to me. Yeah, and, and I yeah, I'd not looked at that. Um, the, the other you know uniqueness about the gospel is that God is the only God who has come down to live with people, and the only one to you know essentially sacrifice His Son or Himself to redeem those people. All the other ones, you know, a prophet comes along who was one of those created beings and somehow transcends. But yeah, it's just so much. It just gives us so much hope um, as as both believers, but also for the work we do um, for redeeming our, our time, um, which in the big picture then is an inheritance that we have. That's exactly right. So, you know, as we start to wrap up here, Jordan, I want to just ask you a couple things. Um, yeah. Well, actually one, no yeah. two. So you talk in the a book about some of your secret music loves, um, like, <laughs> <laughs> which I have to laugh. I we all have those, they like these pop secret you know, star. So, so who's your favorite pop singer? Oh my gosh. Easy. Uh, and it's because I think she's the greatest chief marketing officer on the planet. Tara Swift. Oh, I, she's a genius. Uh, they, by the way, oh my gosh, we're talking on a branding podcast. I have to promote this. Yeah, tell me why there's a phenomenal podcast out there, uh, called every single album, Taylor Swift, where these two brilliant, people a reporter for um the ringer and this guy nathan hubbard who used to be the ceo of Ticketmaster. they break down every single album taylor swift they spend like 90 minutes breaking it down but they also break down the evolution of her brand uh and the business of taylor swift inc and how methodical and intentional she was about pivoting her brand in a way that gradually expanded her markets it's so so good right so if you're a taylor swift fan who loves branding It'll be the best 10 hours of your life. Like it, it's, it is exceptional. So I think she's a G I just think she's a genius. And on top of that, I think her music, I think she's an incredible songwriter, but mostly I love her for her, uh, for her skills as a, a marketer and a brander. Okay. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess I've never, yeah, I've never dived that deep, but yeah, I know somebody <laughs> probably does. One of my colleagues focuses on, on helping musicians build their brands and their branding. Yeah. And, you know, helps them crank it to 11. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I have to think, you know, one of my, one of my uh, secret likes is Katy Perry. I love Katy Perry. Because, you know, documentary. She, yeah. Oh yeah. But she can, you know, she can actually sing. I mean, there's, there's very, yeah. you know, you, you see her in concert and I mean, I'm sure there's some vocal support sometimes, but it looks like she's there and she's actually singing while she's doing all these other gymnastics and everything. And so hard to do. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, hey, Jordan, um, tell us where we can buy Redeeming Your Time and then uh, other ways we can you know, that people can engage with you and get in touch with your content. Yeah. So you can buy it wherever books are sold, right? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you want. Uh, and hopefully this conversation's convinced you to pick up a copy. If not, uh, we're, we're doing this huge pre-order campaign, over-the-top incentive, where I am giving away a trip for one lucky pre-order and the guest of their choice to go to the Holy Land, go to Jerusalem for eight days. I'm paying for everything. Or if that's not your cup of tea, I'll write you a check for five grand, uh, the equivalent cash value of the trip. Uh, why the Holy Land? Because as we've been talking about in this conversation, redeeming your time is all about walking like Jesus walked in the 21st century. And so we thought, man, it would be awesome to send somebody to go walk where 
Jesus walked. So that's what we're doing. Uh, Two-step process to enter to win. Super easy. Step one, go pre-order or order. Depends on when when the, when you're hearing this. Uh, redeeming your time on Amazon before October 23rd. Step two, go to jordanrainer.com and fill out the form to enter the sweepstakes. And also at jordanrainer.com, we've got a ton of free resources uh, to help you redeem your time, to help you connect your faith with your work. And again, that's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. Fantastic. And I just, you know, if you go to jordanrainer.com and you see those photos there, I've actually been those places. I've walked awesome. where Jesus walks. I mean, it's there's one place that said, yeah, this is the stairway Jesus walked down to. And it's like, you just stop and you think, this is amazing. Um, so cool. You know, the, when you talk about Jesus withdrawing to lonely places, what you you get to Jerusalem and you see how compact it is. Mm. I mean, between the the, the Mount of Olives and, and literally the wall is half to three quarters of a mile. Oh, wow. The, the Kidron Valley is more like a swale. It's mm. it's not far. And they're, they're, everything's very close. Um, so it's you see that. But then when you go to something like the Wadi Kelt, which is the the pathway Jesus would have walked when um, he he was supposed to be going back to uh, Nazareth with his parents. Um, it's isolated. It's desolate. The whole landscape is pockmarked with caves, um, and and the Wadi Kelt is just isolated. It's dry. It's quiet. It's windswept. I'll send you a picture that I took. It's, yeah, I would love to see it outstand it's just it's mind-blowing um so just buy the book and enter because you want to go there just to experience you know what the what what the the israel nation thinks of as the center of the world literally yeah yeah literally yeah well thanks so much for your time i've been talking with jordan rayner the author of redeeming your time and uh just i'm uh deeply grateful to Jordan for taking the time. I've been inspired by his work. We both have a love for work and worship. Um, and since our, our paths are somewhat parallel and have crossed in different places, and that's that's how I've, I've gotten to know Jordan. So thanks so much for your time. Um, I'll put all this information in the show notes, and we will look forward to the great success this book is going to have in helping people redeem their chime, time and transform their lives. Thanks for having me, Brian. This is a joy. music from this episode is the track Wrong by Dan Hennig, found on youtube.com slash audio library slash music. Awesome, my friend. That was fun. That was yeah. fun. That was really fun. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. reading the book and preparing such a good question. <laughs>